Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for giving us the words to speak and the ears to hear. Lord, this morning we would ask that as you speak your words, that you would break them small, fit for our consumption. In your name we pray this. Amen. We had been in Colorado for about a year when the pastor at the church and school that our children had been attending had taken a call elsewhere to serve in New Jersey. And in his absence, one of their long-standing members had passed away and they called and asked if I would do the funeral. Absolutely. The woman's husband had been a colonel in the army and they had spent most of their marriage traveling from one assignment to another. And in doing that, they were a very ordered, very somber family. And when I sat down to meet with them, they selected the music and I talked to the funeral home and they said don't worry we have the tracks and we will play them we've got it covered and we did amazing grace and how great thou art and I cannot remember for the life of me what the third one is because as we're sitting in this very sober moment The mother is being laid to rest and they are holding back tears and right before the message. We go to sing How Great Thou Art and there is this beautifully well done entrance to the music and then the voice of the king. Not Jesus, but Presley. And my face went white, and I just sat there and thought, oh, man, this is bad. (laughs) And I look behind me, and the family is in tears. They are laughing so hard. (laughs) Sometimes we have everything well planned, and plans are the things of mice and men, and They don't always go according to plan. And in that moment, what this family needed was not another somber, sobering song, but instead something where God could give them joy and peace and the hope of the resurrection. And in doing so, he used something silly like the voice of Elvis Presley to do so. We like to think that we can somehow keep God in a box and we can somehow determine the voice that he speaks through. Over the past few weeks, we've talked about going off sides and the way that God calls us to live on the offense and the devil is constantly seeking to draw us over the line, to draw us off sides. 
to cause offense and commit a foul. I would invite you this morning, if you have brought your Bible along with you, to turn to our gospel text from Mark chapter 9. As we pick up today in the 38th verse, we're in the middle of this discourse that we've kind of seen over the last two weeks. And our reading last week ended where Jesus is kind of reprimanding his disciples for this argument over who is the greatest and who is the least. And so Jesus brings a child into their midst and actually says, when you love a child, you love me, and when you love me, you love my father. Now, in the middle of all of this, John apparently has a crisis of conscience because he interrupts this discourse and suddenly has this moment of confession. Teacher, he says. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment because the only other time that Jesus is called teacher in the Gospels is when it is done so by the scribes. You see, a rabbi was one who taught with authority and a teacher was one who had none. And so here you can sense some disdain in what John is saying. Meanwhile, Mark is going, hey, this is going to make for a great story. And he's writing this down because it's always easier to talk about somebody else's sin than it is your own. And John says, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop them because... He was not following us. On our way to follow Christ, we still trip ourselves up. One of the most beautifully executed plays in football, when it is done well and done right, is the reverse. And the whole point of the play is to completely throw off the defense so that while they think the ball is going left, in fact, it is already headed right. So Jesus pauses to address the issue at hand. Right? Everything is headed left, and Jesus swings it right again and says, Yes, but wait. Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. We have a way 
of confusing the quarterback with the coach. You see, the coach stands on the sidelines. He sees the whole field of play and calls the plays accordingly. He provides the playbook to follow. Meanwhile, it's the quarterback's job to execute the play that has been called from what he sees on the line. But sometimes, while we stand on the offense, we like to turn around and say, Hey, God, you know what? I, from what I'm seeing right here, I don't think you've called the right play, and I think we're going to run this one instead. As if we somehow know better than the creator and king of the universe. The disciples are looking to protect the exclusivity of their status. We saw someone. We tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Now, if we don't see a problem in that statement alone, then we've already missed the point. Lord, he wasn't one of us. He did not belong. And so we made sure that he knew he was an outsider. And y'all, I'm going to tell you something brutally honest here. They already know. Folks that are on the outside and live on the margins and fringes and those who actually acknowledge that they are the least of these, they already know it. And the only person that it benefits when we remind them of that is us. And it's to make ourselves feel better about our station in life. Lord, we saw someone using your name to do your work, but they weren't following us. They didn't look like us. They didn't talk like us. They didn't vote like us. They don't think like us. They don't come from the same places as us. So we told them to stop. Our nearsightedness ensures that the gospel looks like us, and that is a problem. The gospel should never look like me. It should never look like us. It should always look like Jesus. But you see, the way that this works... Right, is that we see things that we can't explain or that we don't understand and we quickly dismiss them or minimize them. And then sometimes we have these things that we pray for, right? These big, audacious prayers. 
Lord, I'm going through something really, really hard right now. Just give me the strength to make it through. Lord, I need help with my homework. Can you help me do this? Lord, whatever it is. And then suddenly, when the God that says, let there be light, the one who separates water from sky, the one who draws land out of nothing, the one who raises the dead, suddenly hears our prayers and grants what we ask. We go, whoa! Like we're surprised. Now if God says, let there be light, and there is light. If he calls to Lazarus and says, Lazarus, rise. And Lazarus walks from being dead in the tomb to now being alive outside of it. And we doubt. Lord, we saw someone. And we told them to stop because they weren't following us. We shouldn't be surprised when the big picture that God has doesn't look like ours. When I was a kid, I was about seven, eight, or nine, and we had gone out to eat at this restaurant with my great-grandmother who had grown up in a different time in a different place and held a little bit different worldview a lot different in fact that we had a server that was of a different ethnicity than we were and she would sneer and say things like well I guess they let anyone work here or when she didn't feel that we were being served as quickly as she would like. She would say, oh, I see how it is. You serve your kind first. And see, now, most of us, if we hear those things, we reel back. And some of us might even have the audacity to call a thing what it is and actually speak out against it. But for the vast majority of the time, these things happen all around us, and yet we stay silent as a church. The people of God stay silent when the people around us hurt. And we say, Lord, we saw someone doing something and they didn't look like us, so we told them to stop. Who are we leading people to follow? This question shows a lot about who leads us. What message 
do we communicate when we spend more time fighting about the little things than fighting for the big things? Our brokenness actually becomes a means of God God showing His works of redemption. You see, here, Jesus doesn't set John off to the side and go, yeah, you know what, you really stepped in it there, and so because of that, you know, I'm going to have to ask you to leave. But instead, Jesus still has a place for him and the grand plan of proclaiming the gospel to a broken world. In the midst of rewriting Israel's history, God pulls the great reversal. You see, the ball was stuck at the line. The people of God were so stubborn and strong-hearted that they ceased to hear that the kingdom of God was for all kinds and not just one. That God pulls the great reversal with a much-needed way of reminding the defense who holds command of the field. The gospel upends the exclusivity of who belongs and who doesn't and places our identity in the body of Christ instead of our own. but we struggle with this part because it challenges our sense of security, our stability. We are far more comfortable treating the church as something that is made out of brick and stone and mortar because we know with confidence that it will still be here as a physical space when we've wandered away and returned back on our terms. Keeping our focus forward is a full-time task. We don't need to worry about what's happening in the backfield. We know that God has all of this covered. He's already solved this problem. We just trust that it's in our best interest. The thing is, we know the playbook, right? We know exactly what God says and how we are to live our life and walk the line. But the enemy does too. And the difference is the fact that we place all of our hope all of our hope in that God has a bigger plan than we do. And for that reason, the devil stays worried. Because the power of Christ's name is in the unexpected ways that he works. Imagine the surprise 
and the potential indignation of the disciples when Jesus responds with a, yeah, so what? Anyone who is not against us is for us. Right? There's no lukewarm. There's no straddling the fence. You're either hot or cold. And if you're not against us, you're for us. And suddenly they can associate with folks who don't look like them, talk like them, walk like them. Because the great reversal has changed the outcome of our eternity. Over the last few weeks, we've also talked about acts of service, intentional discipleship, and invitations to worship. And today we take the next step in actually growing in that process. And instead of me saying, this is what you should do or what it looks like, I challenge you this week. As you dig deep into God's word, as you see what he says for your life in the playbook that he provides, how is he calling you to acts of service for those around you? How is he calling you into intentional discipleship with those that he has placed into your life? And who has he surrounded you with that needs an invitation to worship? Because God, at the end of the day and of all time, gets the glory now and forevermore. Amen.